This is a Radio 191 FM podcast. Radio 191 FM right now. I'm joined by the Mayor Aaron Hawkins. Morena, Aaron. Good, good morning. How are we? Oh, good, thank you. Good. Um, earlier than usual, I, I thought this was at 8 o'clock and you thought it was at 8.30 and we're doing it at 8.20 and I couldn't think of a more on-brand way of celebrating student radio. That, that's right. I don't know where you got 8 o'clock from, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, hey, it's always nice to meet in the middle somewhere. I feel, I feel. Compromise. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if you know, but all week long I've been talking to former Radio 1 Breakfast hosts, uh, starting off with Andy Flyboy Dixon on Monday, uh, Jungle Far Eye on Tuesday, and yesterday I had a chat with Emma Dish-Smith. Uh, and today I'll be talking to you. Um, who's, to, who's your former Breakfast host tomorrow? Yeah, um, no one. It's just going to be my choices. <laughs> Because um, no one could remember who was before Andy. I did ask Andy, um, yeah, and maybe I'll get them on on Monday morning because I haven't organised it yet. But anyway. I think, I, it started, I think it started with him and Richard Wayne. I think that was... Yeah, yeah, Richard Wayne, yeah. The origin story, yeah. They, yeah, they, yeah, they, they did it together, and then um, Andy kind of, you know, albert him out uh, and got it all himself. It was interesting because Andy, both Andy and Jungle didn't really have a show before. Uh, they became breakfast hosts, as far as they could tell me. Anyway, uh, Emma was completely different. But what about um, yourself? I guess if we're going to we, we're going to get straight into Radio One. I was going to talk about Hillside, but let's just get straight into Radio One. Um, what about yourself? How did you first come to Radio One? Uh, I, I spent a lot of time in the in the OUSA building initially through what is now called the events department, but was then called social activities. Um, which denotes a degree of professionalism that perhaps didn't exist then, but does now, uh, through who ran the capping show and, and the Mothra Film Festival and, uh, and, and those sorts of events. Um, and through that, I met a bunch of people who were writing for Critic Radio 1 was a terrifying place. There's no way uh, we could ever consider ourselves uh, cool enough uh, to, to be there. So we had our own kind of nerd thing going on um, and doing, doing comedy and writing things for the newspaper and then uh, eventually um, someone ended up voicing some, some ads because they were desperate one day and then uh, a couple of years later um, and this is something I'm sure many volunteers at the station over the years have in common um, I was invited to uh, to a function uh, at the station a local liquor store had gone into liquidation and couldn't pay all of their bills and some of that was paid back to uh, our advertising arm in stock <laughs> um, and and that was and, and so you know that was fun and, and they asked me if I wanted to do shows and I did started doing you know, I think it was 11 o'clock or something and then an afternoon thing and then a drive thing and then um, a late breakfast thing on, on, on Saturday and I got a job after a few years writing ads for the station and and then in 2006 or thereabouts after having essentially moved all of my possessions and personal effects into the station uh, they gave me a job um, and so did the, the, the breakfast show for about 2006 uh, was you know, and over the next seven years that uh, 
wrote and produced ads on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Was the music director on two non-consecutive uh, occasions. For a while, it was just me and Simon Wallace on rotation mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. as 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 director. And, and then I, I got another job. Um, you did, uh, and 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 stopped. But no, it was it wasn't. Yeah, it was. That's amazing, eh? Because because you know it was such an intimidating thing from from the outside, and then you become involved in that community. That's again just um, a bunch of nerds, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's right. But it always, yeah, it's that thing, right? It's 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 like that bar that you've always kind of wanted to go into, but everybody looks too cool in there. So you've never gone in there, but once you finally go in there, you'll realise that everybody's just the same as you, and they're all just as, you know, they have the same um, idiosyncrasies and everything else. Um, okay, so you got the breakfast show, um, and then did a whole bunch of other things while you were doing breakfast, and then you applied for a job, uh, you didn't get that job, and then you applied for another job three years later, uh, which was yeah. the same job, and then you got it, um, because you'd finally changed your um, placards from black and white to colour. I remember those first ones. I'm sure they were in black and white. Um, oh, they were in black and white, but I'll tell you what, I spent less money on my entire campaign than Bev Butler did on her recount. <laughs> oh, Bev. Oh, what's the name of that website? Stop the Stadium website? God, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> um, all right, so in your new job, what, what did your old job, how has that helped you do what you do now? How is there, what were the transferable skills from being uh, Radio 1 Breakfast host to being the mayor of a city? Is there, was there any? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the job is, and it's as much a function of, well, I think of the, the work I did at Radio 1 is an application of what I studied when I was at university. So I have a, a liberal arts education, which is uh, essentially um, like, course in critical thinking and, and analysing things and so on and, and so that was really helpful um, you know there's not a day goes by that I haven't been grateful for my humanities education uh, and um, I, they keep trying to get me to write something for the MISCO alumni page and I've been tardy at that and I should do something about that but um, and, and the work at the radio station was great because that was you know essentially their job was you know interview, interviewing people and asking questions and finding out information and verifying stuff and uh, just exploring and discovering and challenging stuff mm. and and, uh, and and then presenting that in a, in a to people in in a, in, in, uh, in a way that uh, was you know, at least vaguely uh, informative and at least vaguely uh, entertaining even if it wasn't both of those things at the same time um, <laughs> with apologies to Lord Rees but uh, and that was and all of those skills are are transferable when you move into uh, a, a job like I have now, where your job is in, in governance to, uh, to to read things and, and challenge things and ask questions of things, and, and then be able to articulate uh, some kind of uh, synthesis of all of that work in a way that uh, reaches a, a wider audience to, to explain uh, the kind of work that we're doing and, and the decisions that we're taking. But it was yeah, it's a really um, and, and occasionally, um, you know, padding for time. <laughs> and, and the, the, uh, you know, the, the power of the ad lib uh, yeah. can be can be helpful when you're at public events and things aren't necessarily always going to plan. But but no, it was it was uh, an incredible luxury. And you know, people used to ask me what my job was, and 
I would say people pay me to listen to records and read the internet and then talk to strangers about it uh, the next day. And, and it was a little more complicated than that, as, as, as you know, but mm-hmm. it was essentially it. And there was absolutely no um, constraints <laughs> on, on, my, on, on, on what I did, which is why I got away with reading an entire book of yes. um, French continental philosophy essays on the radio, uh, among other things. But Times have changed. You don't, these things don't always land, but it was a, it's a huge opportunity and a, and a huge uh, yeah, luxury, and, and particularly within the, the broadcasting climate, to, to be able to experiment with things and uh, try things out and, and, and indulge yourself and, in a way that, you know, at least well, some people listened, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. five, the five people that won feature CD every week. I don't know if there were any more than five people listening at any given time, but um, with apologies to uh, Ian Keeler won't be listening. He'll be, <laughs> in, he'll, be in a, he'll be in a staff meeting by now. He will be. He will um, be. <laughs> <laughs> he was the first name that came to mind when you met, when you said that. Oh, I felt so sorry for Ian. Thinking, was... I felt bad when I got in trouble. I realised I got in trouble for being late to his to a staff meeting because he was waiting for the feature thing, yeah. which wasn't always it wasn't always at eight fifteen, was it? Sometimes <laughs> these things slide around. That's right, that's right. Um, I felt, yeah, I really felt sorry for Ian when we stopped doing the feature CD. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, yeah, I just wonder. Um, geez, man, he must have walls and walls of albums by now. Um, there were many, there were many, there were many Des. Uh, and, and many others. Right, favourite moments or some of your most memorable moments? Emma, uh, as soon as I asked Emma this, she said uh, the moment that stands out the most to me was when I shook Helen Clark's hand and it was cold and clammy. That was her <laughs> most memorable <laughs> moment. Oh, man. I would have thought it would have been Martin Phillips' Concord Dawn cover. Uh, she uh, did mention I... that too. <laughs> uh, most memorable moments. Well, I mean, clearly... Um, the campaign we ran to save the station was the yeah. single most remarkable thing that I was involved in while I was while I was there, and it stands out still as one of the highlights of my, and always will, of my uh, working life. It was an incredibly short-sighted recommendation of the station's parent body and the way that we managed to corral the community at a local and national level and an international level even uh, around that was, uh, was incredibly um, affirming. Uh, and, and in terms of the value of what it was that, that we were doing, because that's not always clear to you. Um, God, uh, a couple of great... I remember Peter Gutteridge rang me once uh, while he was uh, in hospital, I think, and, and talked to me at some length off here about uh, the value of what we were doing for our community, and that was a, a quite a full-on moment. Um, and, and obviously then he was... Uh, was better for, for an extended period of time and uh, Chris Hazelwood brought him in once with his Spongebob guitar to do a, an impromptu live to wear it wasn't planned, these things aren't always planned, <laughs> he did this uh, amazing uh, acoustic you know, guitar solo version of uh, the Snapper song Dry Spot uh, on his uh, kids Spongebob guitar that was pretty <laughs> beautiful and powerful stuff the, the, the loudest thing that I ever did was uh, alive to wear that I think God, I can only assume John Baker organised it was a, I mean Doug Jerebeen, uh was touring his, his crazy psychedelic guitar work um, they, he set up a, a two piece band in the studio and just went for it and that um, my, my hearing's never quite been the same since mm. but you know, just incredibly privileged 
uh, to have access to uh, so much amazing work and to meet so many great people. And I was surprised actually at how enduring uh, a lot of those friendships were because when you're in a, an environment like like radio, it all feels a bit transactional. Everyone's promoting something and you hang out at shows when someone's on tour and so on and so forth. But it's, it's, it's been, you know, but it's, it's more than that. It is, yeah. you know, the, the kinds of stuff that, that, that student radio does is meaningful to our creative community. And, and those are some, you know, those have been um, quite enju- quite enduring, those friendships, to say nothing of the, of the people who are lucky enough to to meet um, either as volunteers or staff over that seven or eight year period. Yes, yes. Yes, no, I wholeheartedly agree with all those sentiments. Um, and what about when you, you know, when you walked out that door for the last time? Uh, well, not last time because you've been back. Um, but do you remember um, the feelings about uh, when it was time to step down and, and start your new life in public office? Yeah, I felt, I mean, I never felt like, I mean, I, <laughs> I had a very extended adolescence, shall we say. Uh, and, <laughs> You're telling and, me. It never really felt like a job in the way that you grow up to think what, think about what a job is or should be, you know. And and, and so um, and, and going away from that uh, to you know a, a very serious job, mm. Mm. but a very serious job where you work for yourself effectively and you don't have. Um, you know, I went from a situation where I was working every day with my best friends basically, and then uh, to a job where you're working kind of by your Self and in, in, in what is often a, a less uh, collegial environment for obvious reasons. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that that's the nature of the the nature of the job. But it was yeah, it was it was sad. Like I, I genuinely thought for a long time that this is something that I wanted to do uh, forever. It just turns out I'm really good at mastering um, dying art forms, you know, writing for magazines, and broadcasting <laughs> on the radio, and um, and I, I didn't. And then I got. I got. Um, uh, then, I, then I got to a point where I just didn't want to leave here, um, and and then yeah, I mean, really, the the, the campaign in 2010 was what uh, switched me to wanting to stay, and it was the first time I really felt like this is where I live, uh, as opposed to everyone who's passing through and I'm moving to Wellington next year or Melbourne next year or wherever, and then ten years later you're not. Um, but that was yeah, that was the the thing that uh, really connected me to this place. Uh, and then um, obviously I met my wife here, and and, and now I have, have a family here, and, uh, and and so on. But yeah, I miss it greatly, and 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 often, you know, it's in a, not just in a nostalgic way. I mean, I I say that, but good grief, not yesterday morning, uh, and and not necessarily this morning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sliding down the hill. Uh, yes. Get to the university before seven o'clock or thereabouts. <laughs> um, but no, it's yeah, it's um, it was a, a, a an incredible privilege to be able to hold that space for well too long, somewhat argue myself included. But um, yeah, it's ne- never say never. Yeah, um, it's a it's it's a, a great, and I think I miss the most. I think of all of that stuff, apart from all the you know the. Um, the thing I missed the most is just sharing stuff with people. And it was an interesting period of transition because when I started as a volunteer, if you wanted to listen to anything that was remotely new or interesting, you had no choice but to listen to student radio. And then over the course of the time I was involved, um, you, know, you had the pitchfork generation and, and online uh, streaming and, and people don't 
need you in the same way that they did historically. And so you have to think differently about uh, what it is that you're offering people and, and, and how and, and what makes it worthwhile. And, you, can, you know, you certainly feel that the station has leaned into um, and local music and, and, and New Zealand music. And I think that's, that, that makes complete sense because those are the kinds of things that um, that that the student radio ecosystem is still like a critical part of and, and is hard to replicate in, in other forms and, and, and long may that continue. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Right, you've chosen three songs from your era. Um, from my era, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah. I mean, look, and I tried, oh God, I tried overthinking it and then I just couldn't. And then it's like, ah, oh, so they all span, and I tried to span kind of genres or you know, some from over that course of the time, but I think in the end all of these things came out within about six months of each other or they're about <laughs> in 2011, so that was an abject failure. But I think, uh, yeah, these, these are by no means definitive or indicative. Uh, they're just three things um, that came to mind by, by way of nostalgia, really, uh, for for that period and, and kind of uh, iconic um, local uh, independent artists of that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got, what have we got? You there? Oh, you're asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Uh, Do you remember? Uh, Dudley? Uh, Dudley Benson's Ruru from his Forest album, which uh, there was, The Awakening was the first song, which was this beautiful chamber pop thing, and then Forest, which was songs of Hidden Melbourne, which features King Homeboy mm-hmm. uh, on, on beatboxing duties, uh, a, a shopping cart by Parallel Dance Ensemble, which is a Coco Solid project, uh, a great uh, great wee dance jam. God, what's the third one? Uh, Orchestra of Spheres. Uh, Orchestra of Spheres. Yeah, the first time I've ever seen someone play an electrified biscuit tin. Yeah, oh God, uh, and, so good. And uh, and, and uh, electrified kitchen tongs <laughs> yeah. uh, was was uh, orchestra. I mean, because the records came out and they were fun. You know, I've always been a fan of, of psychedelic music, but it doesn't ever truly capture the uh, the 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 live performance. And I remember seeing them play a show. The first time I saw them play was down in down at Rishu, I think. Maybe it was probably a Radio 1 show. That's usually how these things worked. Yeah. Uh, and Psychic Maps opened, and all of their fans came, and they were very confused and disappointed, some of them, uh, at the electrified biscuits. And, uh, and was incredible. And small tongs being played on stage. But, no, it was, yeah, <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's from their record Nonagonic now, I think. And did I end up picking Boltzmann Brain? Yes. Yes, you ah. did. <clears throat> well done. Well done. Well done. You got the Excellent there. choice. Yes, yes. Aaron of three days ago, or all, whenever that was. All fine choices, indeed. All songs <laughs> uh, that I love. Um, so we're going to start off with Parallel Dance Ensemble, Shopping Cart. Um, well, thank you very much for taking this trip down memory lane with me. A pleasure. And um, we'll talk again next um, fortnight about some more serious topics. Don't wait. Yeah. Thanks, Cheers, mate. There we go, the Mayor, Aaron Hawkins, former Radio 1 Breakfast host, talking about his time in the seat uh, and what an incredible era it was to sort of three... Thanks for listening to a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. There are heaps more at r1.co.nz.